On this season, we're not going to be doing long intros anymore. Hopefully at this point you know what this project is about and all of the disclaimers therein. Today we have Adam Johnson joining us. Adam has a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, an MDiv, and a PhD. He is currently teaching at a local Christian university where he and his family get to lead the annual National Parks class every summer. He has a lot to say about parenting and raising healthy sexual boys, so I'm excited for you guys to hear from him. Let's dive on in. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast today. Um, this is actually take two, I'm going to be honest. I forgot to turn the mic on um, in our first attempt here for Adam, so it was just me talking to myself. That first uh, attempt was really good. <laughs> it was really good, so if Adam says anything stupid now, it wasn't, it wasn't like that before. So anyway, I'm here with Adam. Um, and we're talking about what it means to be to be sexual and healthy, but especially what that means in raising boys. Um, and so we're going to get into that in a little bit here. But first, Adam's going to tell us a little bit about his story, um, where he came from, what he's up to now, and kind of all that sort. Yeah, I, gr- I grew up in Brazil. I'm a missionary kid. Uh, my parents were teaching at a seminary training pastors. Um, so... Um, most of my years were spent there, a little bit in the Pacific Northwest. That was home base. Um, as folks were asking what I wanted to do when I grew up and did I want to be a missionary like my parents, the answer was no, I just want to be a teacher <laughs> like my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that calling kind of all, ever since I started thinking about it. And now I'm a professor here at Biola University. I teach in the Great Books program. And, uh, and then I study the doctrine of the atonement. So what was Jesus doing through his death and resurrection, and how does that shape our life as Christians? Uh, mm-hmm. So that, that's what I do as a profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm just spending my time uh, you know, inviting my students into this life and mm-hmm. uh, mentoring and guiding them and uh, doing some research on the side. Yeah. And tell us about your wife. When did you meet her? Yeah, so when my when my that was in take one as well. So when my parents were raising support to be missionaries, we went to grandma's church to raise support and the head pastor of that church is now my father in law. So I've pretty much liked my wife since we were about five. <laughs> so we, we go back a ways. <laughs> this is a long time. Oh, man. I'm, I'm hearing this for the second time. <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, so, I, so I'm 40, and I, yeah. I've liked her for now for 35, 35 years. years. Yeah. That is a long—that's probably one of the longest relationships. <laughs> I mean, it's at starting at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man, that's a long time. So uh, we're going to talk about what it means to raise boys. You yourself have three boys, no girls, just three boys, all boy house. Um, but before we get into that, I want to kind of dive into your roots um, and kind of what were you taught about maybe sexuality, masculinity as a boy growing up in your family and your culture? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember being taught a ton about it, but uh, it's not that my parents were uninvolved. I just remember being invited into adulthood by learning how to think and and interact through discussion and reading together and spending time together so it was i don't remember as a specific topic very much Mm -hmm. i just remember i had room to ask my parents any question i wanted and if i wanted to do something that they weren't sure if it was wise then they'd say well why do you want to do it and Mm -hmm. invite me into thinking about it Hmm. so i remember being invited into maturity all throughout my life i don't remember a ton of conversations about sexuality um, so it's I, like your your parents didn't necessarily sit you down and like have the talk, but you felt comfortable enough to like ask yeah. questions and be yeah. curious. I, I, I don't actually remember that talk. <laughs> yeah. I remember a conversation we had about swearing. <laughs> um, you know where they said, "Okay, so so what what swear words do you know?" 
And and so and, and did you just get a rattle him off or was and, it like, well, yeah? So then we, my sister and I, just kind of started sharing the swear words we'd heard, and my parents were like, "Well, do you know what that means?" And they explain mm-hmm. it and everything. Mm-hmm. And it all kind of basically boils down to things revolving around poop, which mm-hmm. is kind of funny. Yeah. So I've had that same conversation with my boys, um, <laughs> and somewhere you know, in college, I heard someone speak saying they wanted their kid to know that it was safe to approach them with any question. Hmm. Um, and uh, so I, I've tried to replicate that. And I think I grew up that way, knowing it was safe to ask my folks any question and that I wouldn't just get a lecture. I'd be invited into a conversation in order to understand things better. Wow. Uh, so that, that's kind of the biggest, it, it, that's sort of a collective feeling or, or spirit mm-hmm. of the of the way I was parented, even though I don't remember a lot specifically talking about sexuality. So as you ended up dating your wife, ended up getting engaged to your wife, mm-hmm. and getting married to your wife, what was kind of the conversations like then? As you're preparing to enter into a sexual relationship, um, were your parents still a voice in your life at that point to like pose that curiosity to or kind of just for understanding or kind of what other voices were then helping speak into your journey uh, becoming a sexual man? Man, that was a ways back too. Um, <laughs> so my parents were there for that. I don't remember needing that, but they were there for that. Mm-hmm. Um, a, lo- a lot of the for- I mean, the formation I was getting was manifold from a whole bunch of different angles. Uh, I, I don't think sexuality is a particularly important topic that has to be addressed. Mm-hmm. I think if we're being invited to 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 live life thoughtfully richly in service of our maker it puts things it helps put things in perspective in a way that you can think about things well but i don't think that all by itself is this massively vital topic Mm -hmm. that has to be talked about um a lot of that can come together indirectly um just learning to think about what marriage is what uh what covenant is um how how to do conflict well Hmm. uh, what, what is identity like you know, life begins. Uh, we we begin as not particularly sexual beings. Um, the Bible describes heaven as a, as a place where we won't be propagating and having yeah, children. Yeah, we'll be married. So, um, so that that kind of puts a limit on how big a deal sex can be. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. It seems like, it seems like your family was pretty balanced um yeah and then we weren't they weren't prudish and it's yeah. like we could watch movies that weren't rated g <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know i mean and stuff and we'd talk about it yeah um so but it wasn't prudish it wasn't fearful uh i do remember when, when i did the the memory that i have of, of you know what, what did the church talk about when it came to sexuality i remember a fair amount of fear tactics hmm. the, you know from when i could recall things from you know high, middle school high school and college uh Diseases like uh, pregnancy and other diseases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's basically know. the talk. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know now and since then I've learned to think about it completely differently. Uh, that the, the fear is not a sufficient motivator for anything, and it's unworthy of the gospel. Um, I do remember a fair bit of that, but maybe I was taught better than that too. Yeah. So uh, maybe you even knew remember. knew intuitively to have a kid. Like when you did hear that. You were just like, like when you heard fear-based kind of tactics, since you had such a grounding, you were kind of just like, eh, this is kind of whatever, and you kind of just yeah. moved on from and, it. And it was just really clear, sexu- the, the place for sexuality is marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has a place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was just cemented into us so so well that it, it just, it has a place. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't need to spend my life worrying and agonizing about retirement right now. 
Uh, <laughs> retirement has a place. Hmm. Um, I need to think about it some, you know, and save in my 401k and all that put away for, for retirement. But other than that, I don't need to think about it much. Hmm. Um, and uh, the, so the, the place of sexuality it has a place. It's in marriage. Uh, so until then, uh, let's focus on good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the retirement analogy is helpful because it's like retirement is ultimately rest from work. Um, and so there's things throughout like your week now as a man, even though you're not retired, where you're learning how to rest, like you're experiencing some of that rest, but there's a, there's a place for it in the future where it's going to be more fully kind of yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. And so in the same way with sexuality, you are sexual now, uh-huh. uh, and well, let's say pre-married, you were sexual pre-married, um, but it wasn't the the full place for it yet kind yep. of thing. Um, yeah, that's that's something I've been I've been thinking about a lot is uh, love as an ordered and and law saturated reality. Hmm. Uh, love that is not not lawful, love that is lawless is is a deeply perverse and damaging kind of love that gets really close to sim- simple consumption. Hmm. Uh but but good love is ordered love. It has order and meaning and purpose and direction. It has constraint. But within those things, it flourishes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the sexuality is a part of the orderedness of love. It has a place. Within that place, it can be good, nourishing, uh, reproductive. Mm-hmm. It can be a lot of things, but it has a place. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of this is tied to like you being raised well in a missionary type, like in a different cultural context. Because I think... For a lot of my friends and my upbringing of, you know, primarily here in the States, it's we're such in a sex saturated culture where we're so obsessed yeah, with yeah. it. Yeah, I don't think Brazil is any less sex saturated. That's true. <laughs> you know, so on, on public TV, NBA basketball games would show, uh-huh. you know, at 10, 30, 11, 12 at mm-hmm. night. Before that, on public TV would be soft porn films. Wow. <laughs> so, so what do you think is, so why did your parents, in a sense, why did they get it? Like, why were they so balanced compared to a lot of parents in America? Uh, you know, I kind of hit the jackpot in my parents. Yeah. My parents are really unique folk. Um, Brazilians would ask my parents about their rebellious son and how they raised him. And my parents would ask, which son? Because <laughs> I had a shaved head with all uh-huh. these designs shaved into uh-huh. my hair and an earring and uh-huh. all that stuff. They just figured I was rebellious. Cause, yeah. And, and, and it turns out I wasn't rebellious at all. Mm-hmm. And partly is just because I didn't have room to rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, not because it was too constraining, uh, but because my parents weren't trying to keep me from doing evil things. They were inviting me into goodness. Hmm. And so there just wasn't any need. So... You know, if now I think the same way. Um, when my boys are of the age where they want alcohol, I'm like, cool, let's have a beer. <laughs> you know, because you're not, you are not going to be able yeah. to rebel through alcohol. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to use it poorly, mm-hmm. but you won't be able to rebel because I'm not creating artificial laws about it. Mm. You know, welcome to life. Let's drink responsibly together and enjoy mm. this good thing. Mm. Good luck rebelling that way. Yeah, <laughs> you that's can't, good. You may abuse it, but you may not rebel that way because I haven't created artificial laws. Wow. Man, this is <laughs> this is such a, a reframing of just even what I was thinking in terms of like talking about sexuality. I mean, you are bringing such a different framework. I think a biblical one, uh, a God-centered one, where it's just like sexuality has its place, and like it's good and it's flourishing and it's nourishing, but it has its place. <laughs> and like, there's so many other things, and there's so much more of life. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. yep, and they have their place. Yeah, and and it's not like the the place for sexuality is within marriage. Even within marriage, it has its place. Yeah, 
um, it's it it's a part of an ordered healthy marriage life but ma- married couples don't have sex all the time they don't have sex every day sex sex is not something that that fixes or makes it whole it's just one part of healthy married life mm-hmm. and it has a place it's its place isn't simply marriage within marriage it has its place too yeah and it could be uh, dominate and become unhealthy even there yeah yeah Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so turning to your boys now. Yeah, right. Um, so they're, you're not, they're not living in Brazil, so they're not seeing softcore porn at 8 p.m., uh-huh. uh, but they, they might have telephones eventually or mm-hmm. cell phones. I don't know what age they are. Um, so what has it been like raising your boys? Um, just, I mean, even with the reality of smartphones right. and just the bad versions of sex right at their fingertips, mm-hmm. uh, potentially at any moment. Yep. Um, so what has it been like for you kind of walking alongside them and, and being their dad? Yeah, yeah. No, good question. Um, again, the basic strategy is positive, not negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so we, we serve the living God, the, the maker of heaven and earth. So theology should always be first and foremost joyful, creative, positive, life-giving. Only secondarily does it include negative, closing off, preventative mm-hmm. moves. Uh, so the fundamental strategy is invo- inviting my boys into life with us. Hmm. So, you know, tonight I'll be reading the last, m- maybe tonight I can read the last few chapters of Kip, uh, of, uh, Kidnapped. Hmm. That's what I'm reading to the boys right mm-hmm. now. And then we have a queue of books that we're going to be reading after that. So I invited them into my reading life. I invite them into classes with me. Um, I teach a summer class where we take students to the national parks. Mm-hmm. My family comes on that. So I'm, I'm teaching my students by, by raising my boys. I'm... I'm raising my boys by mentoring my students. These things are woven together. Um, the boys play basketball with me. Um, they're involved in, in, in my conversations in my life. Now, there are boundaries, mm-hmm. but my primary calling as a dad is to invite them into the joy of being an adult. Hmm. Any conversation <clears throat> excuse me, about, about sexuality or thinking about iPhones and pornography and all that stuff, uh, again, that has its place within a larger thing of me just sharing my life with them and inviting them into that as much as possible so that our lives aren't compartmentalized. You have your life and your entertainment and those things, then I have my own life, and sometimes those overlap. It's dinner and doing chores together and inviting families into our home and doing things together. Mm. That gives us a place to talk about hard things. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there, there are two ways to keep weeds from a garden. Uh, one of them is to do a lot of weeding and use, you know, weed killer and that kind of stuff. Another way is just having a really healthy lawn hmm. that doesn't have as much room for weeds. So most of my energy goes into having a healthy lawn. Wow. Uh, so filling them with a diet of, of good foods, they don't want junk, junk food. Uh, filling them with good books, so when they, you know, when they do read Percy Jackson, uh, <laughs> you know, it might be entertaining, but it yeah. just doesn't have the staying power, and they know it because they've read yeah. better stuff. They've tasted better. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or when it comes to relationships. I want them to just have good, strong, healthy relationships with young women, with my college students, so that when it comes to dating, it's mostly framed in terms of what rich friendship with a woman can look like. Hmm. That's my primary goal. And then, um, man, we try to limit entertainment. We try to limit cell phone use. Um, We're a little, I guess you could say we're a little prudish that way. Uh, But I don't know. I I think of entertainment and passive consumption mostly as pretty unhuman thing to do we're Mm -hmm. mostly meant to be creative uh creative worshipful beings of the creative creator god 
So passive consumption should be kept to a minimum uh, it's just because that's just a form of sloth which eats away at us rather than nourishes us. Hmm. So trying to invite them into making music and reading rather than, because reading is a very active activity, hmm. uh, rather than passively watching things. So we're always handing them to to not be playing games, to not be on their devices. Hmm. The, the school, um, I'm, I'm, I'm refraining from using the imprecatory psalms right now. The school <laughs> gives them iPads, uh-huh. uh, which is an entertainment device, not a work uh-huh. device. If they wanted the kids to work, they should give them a laptop. Um, and then so that brings that into our home and it makes mm-hmm. it that much more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we've had to have co- talks about what they can see online, um, how, how perverse it is, how destructive it is to the people who are involved in that, yeah. uh, how it shapes the imagination. Yeah, but we have to do that at their respective levels. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the catch-22 is you want to talk with them before they're going to be experiencing a lot of these things because yep. you want home to be a safe place where they know they can talk about these things. Because they've already had the conversation or mm-hmm. they've felt comfortable to talk exactly. about it. Yeah. On the other hand, the other kids are being exposed to this so early. Yeah. That means you have to talk to them way before they're mm-hmm. ready. So we try to approach the topic gently, talking at it in age-appropriate ways, which mm-hmm. means some, you know, when, when you talk to a little, you know, to a second grader about sex, it's a funny conversation and they giggle. But you know what? It's because they're right. Yeah. Like everything about sex is kind of gross, kind of silly. And <laughs> what the heck? Like, really? <laughs> you really do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, but, you know, uh, I think they're more right than wrong. Kids get it. Mm-hmm. We, with our home hormones, forget the, these things. Uh, they're kind of right about sex. It is just kind of messy, silly, and weird. Uh, but then we just kind of leave it at that. They know enough. And then later on, we can talk with them more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but our strategy really is mostly to invite them into the good things so that the lesser things just don't have the power. Well, that, that sounds like the gospel. I mean, you are you are preparing them to relate to God as Father by actually being a father that is according to the scriptures. Because I think a lot of fathers are giving commands, they're giving rules and giving boundaries, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Giving prohibitions, don't do is it's a very negative construct. Yeah. And what you're doing is you're bringing them into your life, yeah. you're modeling it, you're showing them the better food so they don't settle for the crumbs, you're showing them the better drinks so they don't settle for the yep. crappy one. And so you are you're setting your boys up to be able now when they look at God the Father, it's actually accurate um, because their father's been showing them. I mean, obviously imperfectly, yeah. um, but it's it's the framework is closer to the framework of God the Father, even that's, if you're not living in it that's perfectly. That's what I'm trying to do. And and that's not against rules and punishment yeah. uh-huh. and, and, and things like that. Uh, but those things just don't come first. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, if you've read the, read the Bible, that's, that's how it goes. Like, yeah. It's always a, a blessing first, a good thing first, a, a relationship first. Yep. And then here's some boundaries to live within that in a flourishing way. Exactly. But we've we've kind of flipped it where it's like, I need my kids to, to not do these certain things. They need to not be partying. They need to not be drinking. Yeah. But it's like maybe they're going to those things because you haven't first given them the blessing, um, the, the good thing. And if they've experienced such rich uh, friendship and joy then the party atmosphere, it just isn't that rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, they'll have to, they'll have to face things and I won't be there with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this isn't, this isn't perfect, but that's the overall spirit of yeah. what we're trying to do. I think what you're doing with bringing them along your students is really big because oh, allowing man. them to have one friendships with older dudes, that's not you. Cause yeah. that you're already providing them a different network yep. to support them. But two, 
to showing them what rich friendship looks like with the opposite gender, mm-hmm. their respect levels going into now dating a girl once they're of the right age oh, yeah. will be so much higher than most of their peers who have been just fighting this objectification <clears throat> usage kind of view of women because oh. of the middle schools and like the interactions they've had. So yeah. you're you're setting them up <laughs> up for life without dad. I, I in sure a sense. am. I mean yeah. and I'm setting the bar high. <laughs> uh, That's I, good. I, <laughs> That's good. I mean, some of the girls they're getting to spend time with, some of the college students are just amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, they're they're kind of aunts, older sisters slash dad students. I don't I don't know quite how the boys have if they have a category for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if but if they're if they're used to relating to women of that caliber. <laughs> Again, it's the That's it's the party. Yeah. The party doesn't taste as good. Yeah. because you've had you've had better experiences. That's the idea, and. Um, you know, I hate the way that we're broken apart into different generations and our lives and our entertainment and our work are all sort of segregated by age. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a way of fighting against that. Um, the boys know that after dinner is over is the rich time because mm-hmm. then when the conversation happens. Yeah. Uh, they know that when people are over, they don't want to sit at the kids' table. They want to hear the <coughs> older people talk. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then they're respected in those conversations too. So Which I think is huge because <laughs> a lot of times kids stick to doing the kids table stuff because the adults aren't ushering them in yeah like they see them listening oh this is adult talk you can't listen sometimes maybe there is those boundaries but a lot of the time it's like just let them listen in let them engage let them voice if uh, the adults are thinking and talking about meaningful things and engaging them meaningfully yeah the kids can sense that and they care you know Mm -hmm. if the kids uh, you know if the adults are just you know, gossiping or wasting their time <laughs> trivially, uh-huh. then I think the kids can can you know, sen- uh-huh. sense that too, and they aren't interested. Uh, but you know, if if, if I, my wife and I are talking about someone that's hurting, uh, and and you know, I'm keeping their identity, you know, you know quiet, but but my, my wife and I are talking about it. Oh, the boys know that. Oh, here's something that matters. We need to listen. This mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't hide that from him. Yeah. Uh, we don't hide the hurt from them. Um, uh, we don't drench them in it Mm -hmm. uh, but they want to be a part of that yeah so i come from a a big italian family i mean (laughs) only half the family's big in italian but it's my dad's side okay and so i mean all of our family gatherings are like we get there you have some small talk eat the food but everyone knows right once the food kind of is finishing up that's when you know nanu or grandpa starts telling stories they start recounting things they start talking about other people in the family that they care about or they miss yeah and those are the times as a kid where I like, I love being a part of family. Like the times of like, you know, other things of, I don't know, I don't want to go into details, but like those were the times that were like the most rich for me as a kid. And I felt like the most, yeah. like a part of something bigger. Um, and, and, and if sexuality is a is intimacy at the physical level within covenant, then saturating the kids with intimacy, safe mm-hmm. familial intimacy and intimacy with, with uh, strangers that are brought into the home uh, where we get to know and be close to them, then we really are giving them the core thing that then shapes mm-hmm. all the different needs and desires for sexual intimacy. Because uh, the spiritual thing is always greater than the physical, but the mm-hmm. physical has a place because we're physical beings. But if they're tasting real intimacy on a regular basis, mm-hmm. then I'm, then we're doing something right. Well, and thinking of my journey, I struggled with porn for about seven years, yeah. and I think... When that really started is really when I started to feel the intimacy gap in my life. I didn't feel as intimately connected with my parents, with my family, with my peers. And so 
Yeah. Porn was like the the cheap substitute for yeah. that. But your boys, if they're constantly involved in intimacy, even if they ever do stumble upon porn, it won't be as good. It won't be as good as what they're already getting. And so it will even be detestable to them. They won't even oh, win. Oh, I mean, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> this is ideal. Yeah, well, this is ideal. I mean, we're still very physical beings. Uh-huh. And it, it'll have its power, and they too will have to fight their struggles. And uh, nothing that I can do will, will, will ensure can ensure anything they, exactly. they have their choices yeah. to make and i need to relinquish that uh and not stake my identity in that uh all i can do all my wife and i can do is is try mm-hmm. to give them as rich an inheritance as we can and then they get to choose how to use it mm-hmm. uh, so i'm just trying trying to share some of the logic and the christian theology behind the inheritance we're trying to give them mm-hmm. and then they yeah. get to choose whether to squander it or use it well and they'll have all the all the same temptations and different ones i'm sure yeah. that, that i've had that we've had yeah yeah let's talk a little bit about masculinity yeah um and in terms of like you have three boys and i'm assuming they're not all clones of each other <laughs> and so i'm sure they have some shared interests yeah. and some shared we, we, we kind of do have one mold it's funny like, <laughs> but it, even within that mold i'm sure there's some diversity there is some diversity um so how are you showing each of your boys what it means to be a man and especially honoring each of their uniqueness yeah. about each of them yeah um i'm honestly not too worried about what it means to be a man Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to be a person mm-hmm. in relation to my maker. Wow. I spend very little time thinking about what does it mean to be a man because mm-hmm. I don't have any other alternatives. I just, mm-hmm. whatever my biology is, I just am whatever I am. And how do I, but the, the main thing is as a human, as a human person before God, how do I love my God and love my neighbor as myself? Mm-hmm. And the neighbor isn't gendered. Uh, I don't think I need to think about myself primarily as masculine. Uh, I'm just a person. Hmm. Um, So primarily, I'm trying to invite them into being healthy persons who happen to be male. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not that, okay, you need to go out there and be a leader. Hmm. I I don't know. That depends on calling and gifting and all sorts of things. Um, I want them to have healthy friendships and rich friendships where they're asking their friends real questions about who they are, what they want to be, what their families are like, inviting them into substantive conversation, whether that's with guys or girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the boys asked about dating, and I, and I said, okay, well... well <laughs> How well, old is he? No, I won't, I'm not going to share that information. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but my, my response was, well, uh, what is that? Hmm. Like, well, what is this thing that you're, you're interested in talking about? And, uh, and then kind of the gist of the conversation was, why don't you just befriend some girls? Hmm. Uh, because that's just a part of being a healthy human being. Hmm. So really, I don't spend time thinking about them as men or as future men. Uh, I spend more time thinking about them simply as persons who happen to be male. And then I'm loving them as they need it, mm-hmm. which happens, which is really different between the three boys, yeah. which means a constant uh, investment. I, I, I thought as they got older, I'd have more and more time to myself because they'd be more independent, and that's not true at all. <laughs> they need me and want me more than ever. Um, it means constant call upon my time. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm coming home earlier and going to work later, it seems, every year, because uh, I know these are the years that are important for these boys. Um, 
whether it's playing basketball or doing homework or, or navigating constant conflict and conversations walking the boys through that uh, it's a big investment on my part and the part of my wife um, but yeah e- each each of them are different each of them have their own different weaknesses and I know I cannot give them everything they want or need and not come anywhere close so I'm doing what I can loving them trying to do right by them uh, but no one, I can't do enough. No yeah. one, no one could do enough. Mm. And uh, they'll have to walk their own way too. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's enough of that. Uh, that's probably yeah. too generic to be very No, helpful. I mean, <laughs> well, again, it's it's the framework thing. I, yeah. You are you're providing, I think, a scriptural framework because scripture, especially in the New Testament, is not talking about here's how to be a man, here's how to be a woman. It's here's how to love God, here's how to love neighbor. It's a lot of one another is the only That's specific gender commands are maybe within marriage and within parenting a little bit. Yeah. Um, but that's it. It's 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 the same commands to everyone. It's yeah. the same fruits to everyone. It's the same gifts to everyone. Mm-hmm. It's not gender specific. Not, not much. So I, there might there, there I'm sure there's some in there. Uh, you know, but if the Bible wanted to really delineate how to be male as opposed to how to be female, I think it probably would have given us more. Um <laughs> But the, the core of it all <coughs> is um, human identity is shaped by the death and resurrection of a male Jew. Hmm. But my wife isn't male, and she isn't a Jew. So that means she was represented by someone of a different race, race and of a different sex than she. Hmm. But she was represented by him. She died and rose again in him. That means that uh, race or ethnicity... And sexuality can't go that deep in terms of shaping our identity. Hmm. There, there are things deeper than that. Hmm. Uh, and I, I'm more interested in interacting with Scripture at those deeper levels than, than trying to spend a lot of time thinking about what it means to be male or what it means to be female. Yeah. Uh, not that those things aren't important. I mean, God made, made us male and female. Uh, yeah, but there are other things going on that, yeah. that, that I think should call for our attention more and then bring that into line and perspective. There's just bigger there's bigger identity questions there than are. what your biology yep. is, what your sexuality is. There's just bigger, yeah. especially for Christians. I mean, yep. outside of the Christian frame, yeah, maybe we can get more obsessed with certain identity markers. But within the Christian framework— yep. Like there is, there is deeper, <laughs> deeper and, and, things going on. And there's on. the order again. So the 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 proper ordering of the, of the deeper or more central things allows the other things to be put in their proper place. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been thinking a lot about order lately, yeah. <laughs> and how we don't focus on it. Uh, but by aiming at the higher goods, order is brought in place. Yeah, yeah. that's good. So what what is your your hope, I guess, for for fathers out there, for sons out there, what would be your hope in terms of, I mean, all we've talked about right now, but what would be your hope for fathers and sons? Fathers and how they father their kids, um, but sons and how they are growing up into being healthy human beings. For the fathers, it would be, um, I mean, the way of the cross is relevant here too. Uh, parenting is a constant dying to self, dying to one's own desires and ambitions so that we can give to our neighbor. Um, and in this case, in parenting, it's a constant dying to self in order to give to my children. Uh, you know, my life is littered with dead hobbies <laughs> that I've had to sacrifice in order to be a good father. Hmm. And then the, fa- the, the hobbies that have remained are ones that I've been able to bring my children into. Yeah. 
but not uh, force upon them. No, no, <laughs> it's not they, like they you want to be a part of it because yeah, it's you, good. Yeah, yeah. I can think of so many like football dads that force their kids to play I, football. I tried and... to encourage one of my boys to play baseball because he loved it, uh-huh. and now he's playing basketball. You know, and I think <laughs> part of it was just the draw of, of, of my joy in doing that was too strong. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but I tried to encourage him the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and inviting those boys into our lives, um, which means not doing the things we want to do a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm reading to them. I'm playing basketball with them. I'm talking with them. How's your day? Fine. Well, that's not a good answer. How was it? Mm-hmm. You know, continually trying to draw them, draw them out. And and, and when they're hurting, um, listening to them, talking with them. When they're having conflict, trying to trying to understand them, but help them understand things too. Um, basically, treat them as young people moving toward adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and in sharing so we're, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself um, I am trying to love myself well so that I can love them like I love myself I'm mm-hmm. trying to invite them into this good rich thing that I am getting to do loving the Lord and, and, and loving my neighbor yeah. uh, and so the main thing we should be doing is try to invite them into our lives mm-hmm. and, and, and share this inheritance that we have. And I think one thing we're assuming in this is that hopefully that these fathers are healthy <laughs> human beings themselves because inviting yeah. them into unhealth is is not necessarily a great idea. But yeah. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, I mean, we're not having a podcast on this, but it's like in order to parent well, you yourself have to be a, a healthy human being. Yep. Um, and you have to be pursuing your own healthiness. Um, exactly. Because you can't invite your kids into goodness if there's not goodness uh, within you. Yeah, and, and if there isn't that goodness and that joy, law will be no substitute. Yeah. Yeah. You can't you can't somehow make them into healthy beings when you yourself are not through rules no. and, and laws. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. So then what would your hope, I mean, maybe more specifically to, to young boys, um, if you were if you were speaking right now to your boys, um, but they're going to hear this in 15 years, <laughs> what would be your hope um, of how they grow into adulthood? Oh, that one's way harder. <laughs> we are the kinds of creatures who are attracted to good things. Uh, we work by attraction and imitation. Um, so... I guess um, if, if I was going to try to share an encouragement, because a lot is out of their control. They, mm-hmm. their, their lives are so constrained by the, what, but what their parents are giving them and inviting them into that it's hard. Um, my encouragement would be to try to watch and look for adults worth being like. Hmm. Um, and, and try to find ways of getting to know and spend time with them. Ask them a question. They were a kid once. Um, ask your grandparents questions. Ask them to tell stories. Try to get people telling stories about life, and then just soak in those stories. Um, ask people, ask adults about what they do for work. Just ask them questions, trying to get to know them a little bit. Uh, because uh, you know, on, the, on the one hand, childhood is a blessing, and you get to have a lot of fun. But I think childhood well done is just a slow, joyful movement towards being an adult. Someday you'll be 40. Someday mm-hmm. you'll be 80. Mm-hmm. Uh, so getting to know the people that are walking this way ahead of you so that you can be thinking well about the whole thing and maybe do it a little better than they did or a little better mm-hmm. than their, your parents did, uh, thinking about uh, thinking of yourself as a person who will someday be 40 mm-hmm. could really help life. Not that you get ahead financially, mm-hmm. but just for living it richly and well. Yeah. And I think that advice goes to 40-year-olds as well, <laughs> like finding 60-year-olds and 80-year-olds who are a little bit older and further along, ask them a question. Absolutely. Um, and get them to kind of mentor you and disciple you. Okay, so 
What about in terms of the church? Um, what would be your hope for <clears throat> the Greater Sea Church in interacting with, with fathers, interacting with sons? What would be your hope for the church? How should the church operate alongside uh, families? I understand the need to divide up by age because there's time where it's good for the ages to be together uh, or, you know, for the youth to be together and the adults and the grandpas and the grandmas and, and divide things up that way. Um, man, I, as much as the church can to do things that cross the generations where the older ones, like, mentoring can sound like such a heavy word. Like, what, how could I mentor somebody? Mm-hmm. And in Christian humility, false versions of it, really, uh, fight against the idea of like, oh, I, ha- I could be a mentor. That's, mm-hmm. that's max of pride, people think. Uh, but it's a lot simpler than that. Um, just asking someone younger than you a question about themselves, getting to know them and inviting them into your life to some small degree, uh, breaking down that boundary so that things can happen is so is such a big step, but such a small step at the same time. If more of that could happen in the church, I think it'd be a really good thing. Yeah. That's something I've been dwelling on a lot is what would it look like for kids, youth, children to be ushered into the the adult activities? Why do we have these youth groups? Why do we have the fifth grade group, the fourth grade group, the third grade group? And we're just segregating and fragmenting uh, the generations yeah. um, when I, we could be kind of trying to figure out how to mesh them together. I, I, so I, I lead a youth group for our church. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm 40. We've got a, uh, my, the, my co-leader is uh, a young 30-something. We got a, we got three or four college students that come just for fun, mm-hmm. partly because uh, partly because it's a continuation of class for them because I'm their <laughs> yeah. teacher, partly because yeah. they want to help the youth. And then we mm-hmm. have our you know we have kind of sixth through ninth graders, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we're just discussing books. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so there we're just breaking down uh, generations, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's really good. Yeah. Maybe easier said than done, but in some yeah. ways, as soon as a question is asked. Mm-hmm. It, it's just breaking breaking that first wall that's hard. Yeah, yeah that's good. Well, this has been awesome, Adam. Hey, my um, pleasure. I think you've given us a really healthy, really balanced framework to even approach. I mean, someone probably listening to this is probably thinking, oh, man, they're going to talk for 40 minutes on just what it means to raise sexual boys. Um, but I think you you did, did everyone a service by helping frame. Like, this is actually the way we should be thinking about this as Christians in a, a more holistic kind of way. So thanks. Appreciate it. My pleasure. We hope that Adam's words encouraged you in your parenting, reframed how you view sexuality in adulthood, and ultimately made you feel hope for raising boys. As always, we want to acknowledge that this episode may have triggered you. It may have brought up old sexual abuse. It may have brought up old negative sexual behaviors. It may have even stirred up old wounds. With all of these things, talk to someone you trust about it. Don't hold these things just to yourself. Bring people into your life and your sexuality. And again, if you could leave us a review or share this episode with someone you think it might impact, this all greatly helps us do what we are trying to do on this podcast, which is bring hope to those who are struggling with their sexuality, who are struggling with their sexual lives, who are struggling even the idea of what it means to be sexual. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.